Welcome to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey, a podcast to encourage, educate, and equip you to care for children and youth through adoption, foster, and kinship care. Hosted by an adoptive mom with over 22 years of kinship and adoptive parenting experience, she's on this journey with you. Please welcome Sandra Flack. As for your nativity, on the day you were born, your navel cord was not cut, nor were you washed in the water to cleanse you. You were not rubbed with salt nor wrapped in swaddling cloths. No eye pitied you to do any of these things to you, to have compassion on you, but you were thrown out into the open field when you yourself were loathed on the day you were born. And when I passed by you and saw you struggling in your own blood, I said to you in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you in your blood, live. I made you thrive like a plant in the field, and you grew, matured, and became very beautiful. That is Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 4 through 7a, very special verses to our guest today. So I can't wait for you to meet her, but I am your host, Sandra Flack. Welcome to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey. I am grateful to be with you today. Um, grateful that my voice is mostly back. Um, I've been sort of recording podcasts out of order, so you may catch one podcast in July where I'm super hoarse, um, but this is a more uh, accurate uh, uh, sounding voice to where I'm at. The uh, allergy season here in upstate New York has been really challenging this year. I don't ever recall a time where I have been without my voice for most of the month. Um, very grovelly sounding, but I'm feeling so much better. Um, and I think it'll just slowly come back. But, you know, if you were praying for me, thank you so much. It feels so good to be back behind the mic uh, and just with you all. Um, I, I really value the connection that we have and just this time to be able to spend with you. So I'm thrilled to be back. Um, we are doing our last foster care focused episode for the month of May. Uh, of course, we'll continue to do episodes where we talk about foster care, but this whole month of May for National Foster Care Month, every one of our episodes has had something to do with foster care. Pretty much, we have been speaking with those who have uh, aged out of foster care, um, who had spent some time in foster care. Uh, so this is our last specific um, podcast for this month with this focus. Um, so we're finishing this up and we have our dad episodes next month where every one of our episodes is an adoptive or foster dad. Um, and I know you're going to love meeting them and hearing from them. Um, so we're looking forward to that. But first, check out these announcements. Natalie Vecchione of the FASD Hope podcast and Sandra Flack of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast would like to invite you to join their Hope for the FASD journey. 
a virtual support community for parents and caregivers raising individuals with an FASD, diagnosed or not. This faith-based community includes an online bi-monthly support group, a monthly VIP conversation, and a private Facebook group which includes a video devotional from Natalie and Sandra every Saturday. To register, visit justicefororphansny.org forward slash training forward slash FASD. And I've got some online workshops coming up, uh, just to let you know, starting Thursday, June 1st. So this is just days away. Um, they will be uh, June 1st, Thursday night, 7 p.m. Eastern time will be the first of six uh, workshops. So it's a six-week session, deep dive into FASD using the FACETS neurobehavioral model. So that's 18 hours of content broken up over six three-hour sessions, six Thursday nights um, in a row in the evening. Um, so you're, that's available for you to register for. Um, we'll probably be offering it again in the fall if summer is not good for you. Or if you're just not quite ready to go that deep, I do have a one hour lunch and learn, which is an introduction to FASD. It's absolutely free. That is on Wednesday, June 7th at 1 p.m. Eastern. Uh, and we've got some other other ones scheduled for July. So just check out our website, justicefororphansny.org. Click on training, and then you can scroll through and see the workshops that are scheduled that you could sign up for. Or if you're looking for, you know, maybe just something for yourself, or you're looking for something for your small group, or you want in person, or you want to do something online, just reach out because we can really tailor tailor these workshops to whatever you or your group would be interested in. Um, now we do offer certificates of completion for every one of our FASD workshops. And if you are a social worker licensed in New York, we also offer CEUs. So again, to learn more, to see what's available, to register for any of these workshops, go to our website, justicefororphansny.org. And of course, there is a link in the show notes to our website, and you'll be able to find it out. Find it there. Um, also, as always, please subscribe to this podcast if you have not done so already. When you subscribe, um, it makes sure that every weekly episode and you know goes right into your inbox, and you won't miss an episode. And it also makes this show um, more easy to be found more easily to be found um, by other adoptive foster and kinship caregivers because we want to make sure that they are encouraged and equipped as well. Um, and then before we get to our guest, I just wanted to share that I am just back from the Renew uh, Foster and Adoptive Parent Retreat. It's in North Carolina in the Raleigh-Durham area. This was, I believe, the fourth year, my first time going. I had the honor of teaching a workshop on FASD, which was packed. The room was full um, with those who came in. Um, it was a great workshop, great interaction with the audience. And then all throughout the weekend, I just kept connecting. P parents kept coming up to me, just wanting to connect, wanting to ask questions, wanted some advice, wanted to talk about things. So um, it was just a phenomenal time. So I hope to go back again and be able to teach a workshop there next year. But if 
you are an adoptive or foster or kinship caregiver, and if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are, mark your calendar or keep in mind that next May, you will want to be at the Renew Retreat because what an amazing time of worship, of prayer, of guest speakers that just really ministered to everybody who attended, and then wonderful things, very special things. There were a lot of just... um, you know, recreational activities built into that time. People were getting their hair done. People were getting massages. People were getting to do axe throwing very safely. They were being, you know, you could go and do stretching. You, you know, a lot of the dads went and played uh, this this golf session. Um, just, I can't even name all of the things, but it was just a time of parents coming um, for the weekend together. Many there was single parents, but there were also married couples. And it was just such a time to be ministered to and refreshed and renewed so you could go back to your kiddos and just have your batteries charged. So it was wonderful. I would highly recommend it to any foster or adoptive parent. I don't know the dates for next year, um, but it is in May. Um, and you they do have a website, so you can go to re- the Renew Conference it's really bad because I don't know the exact uh, the exact address for the um, website, but I'll look it up and I'll make sure that's in the show notes as well um, because you know it, it's just an amazing time and I would highly recommend it and I hope to be back there again um, next year. And speaking of conferences, um, if you've ever haven't ever gone to CAFO, the Christian Alliance for Orphans Summit, that is this September. And that is in Oklahoma City. And I have gone to CAFO probably every year for the past 14 years. And it's really what birthed our nonprofit, which led to this podcast and all of the other things that we're doing. Um, and that they also have, um, you know, it's like two and a half days of amazing workshops. Um, it's faith-based as well. And um, I will be there. I'm going to be doing a coaching table, an FASD coaching table, um, but just so much for adoptive parents, foster parents, adoptees, um, just wherever you are on this journey, you will find workshops and opportunities and just the fellowship because there is usually like 2,000 people. The Renew Retreat was like 200 people, over 200 people. KFO is like 2,000 people from across the country and around the world, and it is amazing. So if you're looking to just rub elbows in person with these amazing, you know, amazing fellow parents and advocates and people, um, these are some conferences that I attend and that I would highly recommend. And enough about that. I wasn't even planning on doing like a commercial, like for all of that. (laughs) It's just kind of like, this is what I've been up to. So Let's get to our guest because that's really why you're tuning in, right? To hear from another amazing guest. And we have one. Her name is Sherry Gaelic. She is a certified mental health coach and a student of psychology working toward a degree in crisis counseling. She has spent time doing trauma ministry in the church and has worked in victim services as a paralegal advocate, helping survivors of domestic violence and sexual assault. Sherry is also a former foster youth and is currently serving as an advocate for emancipated foster youth in partnership with Foster Hope New York. It is her desire to give insight to the internal journey 
of a foster child and how words, actions, and assumptions can either build, empower, and heal, or defeat, deflate, and destroy. She is passionate about raising awareness to the challenges of foster survival and how we can help improve the process. Please welcome Sherry Gaelic. Hi, Sherry. Hi. I am so excited to have you here. You are also in New York State. I don't always have the opportunity to interview a fellow New Yorker. So I'm so excited that we connected. Um, yes. I, yeah. And I, I reached out to um, Foster Hope New York, right? I got that right. Um, for, an, for an interview for this Foster Care Month. And they pointed me to you. And at first, I didn't realize that you had been in foster care until you started telling me your story. Um, and I was just blown away. So I am so excited that you are on the show today. And I would just love for our listeners to get to know you. So would you tell us that story about how you came into foster care? Yeah, sure. Um, so I entered the system when I was 12 years old. Um, my mom had uh, breast cancer um, when and she passed away when I was 11. And then after that, um, we were taken out of uh, the home with my father about nine months later. So I was 12 when when we went into foster care. Um, and I was emancipated when I was 17. And I had, so in five years, I had four different placements. Um, yeah, and uh, there were times when me and my siblings were together and other times when we were separated. So some of that journey was um, was alone. Um, sometimes there was one home where I was with my older sister, one home I was by myself, and a couple homes where there was a mixture. Wow, so how many years were you in foster care before you emancipated? Five. Five years, you said that, five years, four yep. homes. And five years, four homes. Yep. Yeah. Can you tell us anything about those times? Like, did were they good homes, not good homes? What was that experience like? <laughs> she laughs. Oh. This is a loaded question. <laughs> I know. Um, uh, they were not healthy, um, I would say. Um, I know we talked a lot about this, but um, so when we first entered care we kind of went into a uh, a family that was part of uh, the church church that we were going to and um it was kind of like a a situation that was sort of thrown together and there were some uh, uh some really toxic dynamics um that came out of that home and really all of us ended up with uh we really had a journey that just was compounded trauma on, on trauma. And it's, uh, I guess I kind of, I kind of get a little bit, uh, nervous about, um, about going too deep into a lot of details, uh, partly because I know, I know a lot of people still connected to those, those homes, and I think that that's one of the things that is really hard about the foster care journey and about even just your about being open about your own story is that you recognize that there's a lot of collateral damage, that it's it's not just your trauma, it's the trauma of all the other people and it's the other kids in that home that are not in foster care. Um, 
you know, because the, the, the places we went to only two of the placements that I would, that I went to were already established foster homes. The other two became foster homes to take us. Um, and that may seem like it's a good thing, but, um, in our situation, it, it wasn't, it wasn't good because there was no training. There were no people just jumping on board saying, yeah, we'll, we'll do it. Not knowing what they're signing up for, not being trauma aware, not having even really good doctrine, to be honest with you. And so there was, so that ended up, that resulted in a lot of, uh, spiritual trauma on top of it. Um, you know, a lot of weaponizing of the word of God, honestly. Um, and I think that happens sometimes, um, with traumatized kids in, or even adults in some religious, uh, circles. I think that we don't always get it right, you know? And, um, I think a lot about, uh, the Job's friends and how they, they were, saying good things in a really, really um, damaging context. And I think that that happens a lot um, sometimes in religious circles. And that definitely happened with us in our trauma, um, trauma not being understood. And then also not un people not understanding the disruption of their home that they're taking. I mean, I'm, I'm the second oldest of five kids. We were a package deal. So you're taking on five highly traumatized children <laughs> um, and ranging from two years old to 14. Um, so that that's a, that's a handful. That's a handful for an empty house, you know, let alone a house that already has children in it too. So um, no, there were, there were definitely, uh, in fact, so I was, when I went to that first home, um, it was the first time that I um, experienced uh, sexual exploitation. Um, the, the father of that home was highly inappropriate. And it's the first time that I ever felt like my body was breached. And um, that was something that really stuck with me um, as another layer of trauma. And sometimes this, this happens sometimes like kids are taken from their house for one thing and then they experience worse. Other, yeah. Worse. Wor yeah. Worse and other. And, uh, so it's, uh, you're kind of, um, you're at the mercy of the hands of strangers in a lot of ways, you know, and, um, there were really psychological, um, damaging things that happened in that home. There was one memory that haunted me all the way up into my early twenties. I would have nightmares about it because it was so, it, it violated my soul in such a, such a horrible way. Um, that it just, it was the first, it was the, the only memory I've ever had that has made me feel anger on the level, or, um, I mean, excuse me, that has made me feel hate on the level where I thought that I could actually like murder her. Wow. <laughs> like murder. Yeah. And I had to really pray for deliverance from that. Um, I remember waking up and just being so full of hate towards that couple for the damage that they did um, to me, to my soul, that I, I just hated them on that level. Mm -hmm. And that's a scary thing. <laughs> this is kind yeah. of a scary place. I remember 
remember waking up from that and just getting just getting right on my knees and just sobbing my eyes out and asking God to deliver me from that because I don't want I don't want that to be inside of me. And um, he he did actually. Um, we had a pastor from India come up and share a word about Ephraim and Manasseh, and he said um, that Manasseh. Um, I think Ephraim is the second born. Manasseh is the first born, right, of Joseph's sons. And um, Manasseh means uh, to forget because God caused him to forget the pain of his father's house. And I had just been up haunted by that memory. It was coming up and I was having nightmares about it. And um, I was crying out to God and asking him to help me. And, you know, it, it almost felt demonic in some ways, I guess, you know, and I prayed. And um, when I went to church, it was the next morning that the pastor was there. And he said, you know, how many nights you you stay up crying over visions of the past. And it was it was wow. definitely one of those like, those those striking moments where he's speaking right to me. And I was so shook by it. Like I almost was like stuck in my seat almost, you know. And I went up and I, I, I did go up um, to the altar and I, and I started, I couldn't, I didn't, I don't even think I prayed, honestly, I just wept. I just sobbed and wept so loud. I couldn't even stop it. It just was, it, it just was like, it just broke me open. And uh, I think all I said was, Lord, help me to forget. And they say that in, there's a lot of things that I've had to go through healing processes with, but there have been some things where God has just taken them from me and um, it's really just had mercy on me. And that was one of those moments. Um, and he took it. He took that from me. He took the pain. I, I remember the memory in actually pretty vivid detail and can recount it, but it doesn't touch me at all. Um, <clears throat> so from that day on, um, the pain of that was lifted and, that memory doesn't doesn't touch me like it used to. So there's been I've had moments like that with with uh, God where He has had to you know He's met me, but you know I also think to myself you know there I get it like I get why people who who don't have that faith or who don't have that connection to Christ or to God like how how their path can be so dark. I mean, my, my path has been incredibly dark and I've, and I've had knowledge of, of the gospel. And I think this, wow, this path just can just be really, really dark, you know? Um, so, so, yeah. Yeah. So I was just going to say a couple of, a couple of things because just to back up a little bit, cause you had said, you know, a couple of the homes that you went into, it was kind of like people took you in. They, they weren't foster parents ahead of time. They didn't have that training. I can relate to that as well because our first um, experience was um, we took in a relative little girl who was eight years old. She didn't, she wasn't in foster care. Her mom had died too. She had been living with a grandmother who was not um, mentally well. So we were trying to help them and then recognize this little girl's in a really bad, dark place. So long story short, the court system, the judge asked us if we would take her, which of course we said, sure. We had three mm -hmm. biological children at the time. So we took her, we said, yes, we've never regretted that, but we had zero training, zero understanding of the impacts of trauma, 
didn't, I mean, mm-hmm. we got her counseling right away because we knew she had lost her mom and really didn't have an opportunity to mourn that loss in a healthy way. Yeah. But we, we didn't understand trauma beyond that. Um, certainly didn't understand prenatal exposure to alcohol like we do now. Um, you know, I always say we didn't know what we didn't know. And we caused, mm-hmm. we caused some harm along the way, you know, we, yeah. just, and, and it was, it was challenging and difficult at times. And I mean, now she's 33 years old, and we have a wonderful relationship. But, the, you know, if I could go back and do it all over again, understanding trauma now, understanding all those things now, I would have parented her significantly mm-hmm. differently, better, mm-hmm. and would have hurt her less along the way. So yeah. I, I, I understand what you're saying. Unfortunately, I think you did, uh, you did end up in some really dark, you know, it wasn't it wasn't just yeah. parents who just didn't know they were really causing you significant harm, um, which is yeah. which is heartbreaking. So um, t- can would you tell us about the like, I don't know if you want to get into the last placement you were in or not, but you emancipated. So tell us at least mm-hmm. what happened from that time. From the time I was emancipated? Yeah, like how did that come apart about where did you go? Because you didn't get adopted. No, I did not. Um, so, well, okay. So this is kind of interesting. So I was in my last placement because I had gotten kicked out of my previous placement um unjustly and um when I was there uh the foster mom that I was that I was staying with really had big bones to pick with the church that I came from and quite frankly for good reason um and so I didn't really understand you know uh, everything, you know, I, you, you, when you're in survival mode, you're just in survival mode. It's like, whatever's happening on the outside of me is just its own business. <laughs> like, you know, you can't be bothered with it too much. Um, but she had some big bones to pick with it. And at that time I had, I had gotten kicked out of the church and everything, honestly, um, for really nothing at all, pretty much. Um, but I, uh, so I, I was not going to the church and I was uh, at, in that foster home because I had gotten kicked out of everything. And I was um, going through some really, you know, like dark internal stuff. And then also trying to, in one, in one sense, I was, I was sad because I, you know, just being kicked out was an injustice. And then um but then I also sort of thought it saw it saw it as an opportunity to be free, to be honest with you. And I just thought, well, I can actually just make friends who will just see me for who I am and I won't be the source of pity and shame and you know condemnation and you know this traumatized child that nobody wants to deal with and too bad for her. Like I don't, you know, I saw it as an opportunity actually to have friends, like genuine friends. And so I um I did start making friends and I did, did have a friend circle. Um, but I also was carrying a lot of that trauma baggage and I really didn't have a lot of outlets for it. And so I, I did actually find a lot of comfort in like, you know, smoking pot because 
it grounded my body and it, it allowed me to relax actually. And, and to, and to hear my thoughts and it kind of, but it also was driving me deeper into some darkness. And, um, so I, in that, in that dark space, I really started, um, contemplating my spirituality a lot deeper actually. And, um, I started to really see, uh, Christ as, um, a source of light in that darkness. And, uh, I, I actually could see him as the rescuer. And I think before that, when I was younger, I, I did, I did have a, um, I sort of had like a, a friendship with, with Jesus. Like I just thought he was my buddy and I would just talk to him all the time, <laughs> you know? And so to me, he was, he was friendship and companionship. Um, and he was the one that sustained me and he, and he comforted me when I was hurting and those things. When I was in those teen years and going through that, that darkness, I saw, I started to see him as a rescuer and as the one who has authority to rescue and um, that light that shines into the darkness. And I was really drawn to it. And I was, um, I was sort of in the clash between darkness and light. Um, so I really, uh, over, uh, over a period of about six months, just started going deeper and deeper into this clash, you know, deeper into this struggle, you know. Um, and then and I, I missed Jesus. Like he was my friend when I was a kid. I loved him and I missed him, but I also did not think that I could love people the way he wanted me to love people. I was like, well, that's a high hope. And I did not think that I could actually live the way he wanted me to, because I really, I, I felt the damage so deep inside of me that it was just like, well, that's just, that's not who, like, I can't be that, you know? And so I had this struggle and it was really, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to ask you, Sherry, and I don't know if you're comfortable answering, so it's totally up to you, but along the way, some of the people who were supposed to be helping you or who were put in those roles to be foster parents or to help you, they were supposed to be Christians, but they hurt yeah. you. Is that, am I, am I reading yeah. that right? So that's where the disconnect was. Yeah. Like, how can you trust people yes. when yes. people who were supposed to be proclaiming Christ were hurting you? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. In very, in very deep and humiliating ways. Um, and so, yeah. And, and, you know, it's funny because, you know, when you and I were talking um, on our call before, you know, and I told you that I, I never like all through my childhood trauma, like I always saw Jesus as a comforter and like someone who sustained me and someone who helped me. I always saw him as a friend. And so my pain always drove me to him. Um, and, and we were talking about people getting angry at God and stuff. And I'll tell you, the only thing that has ever made me have anger towards God is when I trusted him for good and his people did um did wrong by me um you know when it it was it was the times when i was trusting god and in my view it, i was like but i didn't trust them i trusted you and you let them do this to me so the only time i ever 
because I thought I to me I I internalized it as a betrayal of my friendship with Christ. I was like, but but we have a friendship. Yeah. <laughs> How could you do this to me? Yeah. Yes. That's that the only time I've ever experienced anger at God was that was when I looked back and saw some of the spiritual abuse. Um because because it muddies the water and I was mad I said why would you give me a mixed well I drank poison water and you knew it was poisoned and you let me drink it <laughs> and and this this but you know that's that's relationship right and so um those are the only times I've ever experienced um anger towards God was when I felt like my friend had betrayed me or didn't didn't protect me and, you know, of course, God is perfect and he's just, but he also lets us have our emotions, you know, and thank God for that. Um, so, yeah, so I really missed my friend and, um, you know, there was, there was a lot, I, I got to the point where I just said, you know what, regardless of anybody else, like I, I need God in my life. And I, and the only church I ever knew was was my home church that I grew up in um so I I went I said to my foster mom that I was gonna go to church because <laughs> I I couldn't take I couldn't take it anymore like I really could care less honestly about the actual church I saw that as just being a necessary step to have God in my life which is not actually true but <laughs> um but that's the way I saw it at that time I was 17. So I, um, I told her I'm going, I'm going back to church. Well, she was very angry at me because she did not like the church. She had a lot to say about it. And I didn't really care, honestly, what her opinion was to me. I was like, this is what I got to do and you're in my way. So I'm just going to do it. Um, and she kicked me out (laughs) as a result of it. I came home after church service and I, there was a note on the table that said you have 24 hours to pack your bags and she was nowhere to be seen. Um, so she came home later that evening and I tried to talk to her about it. And I said, I don't really have a place to go. Like, I, I don't understand why you're kicking me out. I just went to church and she wouldn't even listen to me. She, the vacuum cleaner was by the door. She turned the vacuum cleaner on so she couldn't hear me talking and she walked out of the room. Wow. I'm like, Are you All because you went to church. I'm, I'm thinking there's a lot of foster yeah. and adoptive parents listening, thinking, if only, you know, if only my kid would just go to church. Like if that was their rebellion <laughs> was to go to church. Right. Yeah. Well, wow. I think it was compiled too because the pastor of this church had just uh, kicked me out of the church. Oh, okay. Um, and, uh, about I only lived with her for about two years. You know, this was only two years ago that I was kicked out of the church, and um, and they so so now they, now I'm curious. Did so you decided to go back there? Did they even though they had kicked you out, they let you back in? Yeah, yeah. they they let me back in. You know, it's really interesting because uh, I'm just gonna I'll just say like. You know the the home that I was in before that they were they were not they were, they were really mean <laughs> like the, the the foster dad especially would say really mean and cutting things and by that time like I just was so 
uh, just over it. Honestly, I, I was like 15 when I no 14 when I moved in with them. I was just over it. Honestly, just everything that I went through for the first first couple homes. Um, and I really was, uh, I was just wanting like inner peace. And he, I just remember just one night he had said something really cutting and sometimes he would just say things. And then when we would get upset, he would laugh at us. It was a little bit sadistic, honestly, he would laugh and he'd be like, why are you upset? He'd just laugh at us when we would get upset after he said something mean. And, um, and he'd be like, well, I'm over it. Why aren't you over it? He, like, you know, you have to, don't be so sensitive. And so to me, I've always been very, uh, sensitive to emotional manipulation and, you know, just exploiting my emotions. It's like, why do you need to do that? <laughs> and so it would, it would make me like really, really upset. And so I just remember having, just being so angry after one interaction and going up to, into my room and, you know, I packed a bag, like I'm going to run away, but like, as you know, 14, 15 year old kid. No, wait a minute. I was six. Yeah, I was 15. I was 15. Cause I turned 16 just after I got kicked out. So I was 15. I'm not running away. Where am I going? I have no money. Like, come on. And so I, but I packed a bag in anger and that is what I got in trouble for. And it was brought to the pastor's attention that I was quote, being rebellious if, you know, cause packing a bag is rebellious. And, um, he kicked me out. He said, you know, I heard you don't want to be here. He called me, uh, a user and, um, he said, I was just like my father, the foster dad called me a freeloader, you know, and they just, they kicked me out, uh, for that and never, never even asked me if I was okay, what was wrong, why I packed the bag, nothing, just that I'm a user and abuser, just like my father and that I'm not welcome there. So when I went back to the church, um, I had to have a whole interview and of course, I was uh, treated like someone who was living a rebellious, sinful life, you know, and who had to prove themselves worthy of being in the church. Um, and that's always been really sad to me. You know, it it was never really celebrated that I was finding my way back to God or that that I was asking for help or like need like, I mean, if you think about it, I was... My mom died when I was 11. My dad died when I was 16. That was the other thing too. When I got kicked out, I saw it as an opportunity to try to reestablish contact with my dad too, because my dad was pretty demonized um, by people in the church. So I really didn't have opportunity to do that there. So I really, uh, so I did actually um, set up visitations with my dad. Like I said, I kind of just took it as an opportunity for freedom to do the things that I actually wanted to do for myself. Um, but you know, the way, the way everything's set up there, they kind of, I, I felt like the only way to have my relationship with God back was to be in the church, you know? Um, so that's why I went back, but yeah, I had to, they, I had to sit up on the stage and have a re-entrance interview. And why, why do you feel that, you know, are you ready to be back here? Why do you feel like you should be back here? Uh, and like, they put me, they, they made me answer for it. Like, why, why do you want to be in this church? And, 
And so, and then I had to give weekly updates on the status of my life. Every, every week I had to, I had to report to the pastor and tell him. Are you still in this church? No. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) You know, what? No, but this was. I mean, that could, that could have, that could have sent you or anybody packing. Like, why would I want anything to do with God or Christianity if this is what it's all about? But yet you were seeking the Lord and wanted fellowship with his people and wanted to be close to God. And they just put you through the gauntlet on that. I'm so sorry. But clearly you're resilient because you're still walking with the Lord. But before we get farther on down there, um, so you... So she turned the vacuum cleaner on so she couldn't hear you. You got 24 hours yes. to get out. Um, so it's like a it's like a, a TV show, right? It's like I know, gosh. But um, not okay. to not to belittle, yeah, not to belittle your experience at all. But I'm like, what is it with this with this gal? But um, you, where did you go? So you had 24 hours to get out. What happened next? Uh, I called my case manager, told her I was being kicked out, um, and. At the time, there wasn't really much time for an emergency replacement. They probably would have negotiated with her, um, except that my uh, my sister had just moved in with some roommates and there was some space there um, for me to move in. And one of the girls there was, you know, like really like very welcoming and she was just like, yeah, we'll take her. And, but, you know, she was at the time, she was also part of the church too. And they sort of put her through the ringer too. Well, what if, she, what if she doesn't do well? And what if she's, what if she's this, what if she's that? Now they never even asked me what my lifestyle was. They never even asked me anything. Like there's just all this huge blanket assumption that you're this rebellious, like hoodlum that's into, into it all. Right. <laughs> you know, they don't even, that that's the thing. And, you know, sorry, little tangent, but that is the thing that has helped me in my healing, you know, from the spiritual side. Once I realized that the people that have been the most critical, the most condemning and the most and the harshest towards me are people that have never sat down and asked me a question. <laughs> like wow. they don't know me at all. Yeah. It's complete speculation. And I, and once I realized that, I was like, oh, wait a minute. I've never even had an actual conversation with this person. Never. Yeah. How, how would they even know? Right. How would they even know they you? Don't. Yeah. Yeah. They don't at all. And so once I realized that, I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm done with that. <laughs> <laughs> Processing over. Yeah. <laughs> delete. Wow. Delete file. Yeah. So, yeah. But anyway, so, the, you know, and, and. Luckily, you know, she's a pretty solid person just in general. And she was just like, well, it's a risk I'm willing to take. And they were like, okay. So, um, so I moved in with them and, uh, then I, I really had, a, I had roommates, all different, you know, people getting married or moving back home or doing this or doing that. Um, I, I had lots and lots of roommates and lots of different um, places probably until I was 35, I got my first apartment, <laughs> like my own apartment. Wow. <laughs> but I had roommates all the way up till I was 35. Wow. So did you, yeah. did you finish high school? Like what was happening there? Cause you're like 17, 18 at this point. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I was going to, uh, CNS, um, 
so I had gone, the, the, you know, the church, they have a, a school also K through 12, they have an academy. And I, so when I got kicked out of everything, I went to CNS because my foster home was in North Syracuse. And um, I, I had um, skipped so much school <laughs> that I was, I was failing my 11th grade year, but I had enough credits I had, I was failing some classes, but pass like barely passing others. And so I had enough credits to be a senior if I wanted to, but it would mean that doubling up on some classes. And I honestly, I didn't really have any plan for the future. Um, both my parents died when I was teenager and I, I had an aunt that passed away. My grandma, I saw a lot of death really early in my life. So honestly, I never even like thought that I would be an adult. Like I just didn't, I just kind of assumed that I would probably just die and not have to worry about it. <laughs> like, oh, and I really did actually think that. So I had like no idea what to do with myself. I was like, oh, I don't really want to leave here. At least school gave me structure. And I, I've, I've always liked learning, even though I wasn't really on board at that moment. But um. I chose actually to repeat the 11th grade. <laughs> so I was, so I was in my second 11th grade year, which was a little bit redundant because I could have been, um, a, a senior. I went back to the church in, um, April. So it was only a couple months before the school year ended. And I just made a hard shift. That's kind of how that church operates. Like it's kind of all or nothing. So I actually completely dropped out of school. Um, I dropped out at CNS and then waited for the next year to enroll at the academy as a senior. And I doubled up on my classes then, and I graduated um, with the class that was always below me. So <laughs> that was kind of interesting. I was in the same school, but with a different class. So it was, it's weird to go through a senior year with a class that's not your own. <laughs> but, but you graduated. But I graduated. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Wow. And what, yep. what did you do after that? Um, after that, I, I just got a job. Honestly, I, I loved learning and I always wanted to go to college, but I didn't think that I would ever have the opportunity to, I was really, really poor. I was supporting myself at that point. I was living with roommates, paying paying rent. Um, but when I was at CNS, I just want to give a little shout out to this woman because I love her to this day. That my my Spanish teacher, I wish I knew her name. I have to dig up my old yearbook and find out who she is. But um, she was just this little short lady, and she was just a zippy little character, and she would zip around. She um, called me in for a meeting after a class one time, and she said to me, you know, I can just tell that you're really smart. I think you're struggling with some stuff. She had no idea what my history was. And she said, but I see real potential in you, Sherry. And she's really, she was really speaking into my heart. And I just remember sitting there. I couldn't even look at her. I was just like crying because Nobody had really believed in me like that. Nobody had even like sat down and talked to me like that. And um, she just, she said, do you want to go to college? And I said to her, yeah, but I probably can't, you know? And I was kind of fighting her on that a little bit. Like, I'm like, I don't think I can. Like, and she just kept, what do you want to? And I'm like, I, I can't. <laughs> and she's like, and she's like, but would you be open to me? 
um, putting your name on a list for you to receive college catalogs. And I was like, yeah, sure. Um, and I'm thinking, yeah, you can do that. I probably won't, but <laughs> thanks, you know? And so, um, she, I don't know what she put my name on, <laughs> but I got catalogs <laughs> for like a year. <laughs> like, like a flood. I had, I had crates of catalogs, like, I wow. had like three and four crates and they just kept coming. And I think that like, I really needed that because every time I got a catalog, it was like, this could be possible. This could be possible. This could be possible. And it, I almost needed to be flooded and she flooded me <laughs> with the catalogs, literally. Aww. And I think I kind of needed to be flooded a little bit because by the end of it, I thought to myself, you know, I remember actually sitting with all the crates and just being like, wow, look at all this potential. <laughs> and, and, and I remember even just remembering her words to me and just crying. You know, I had all these crates of college catalogs and I remember just crying. And, um, and then I thought, well, maybe, mm. maybe I could. And so then I started looking into OCC and um, I ended up going, enrolling in OCC about a year, a year after I graduated from high school. So I did take a year to work, but then I went to OCC and I didn't really know what to, um, to go to school for, but I had always wanted to play the piano. I, you know, as a kid, that was kind of my one thing that I always wished that I had the opportunity to do. And so I took a piano minor class and I loved it so much. I majored in music. Wow. So I have a two-year degree in music. And then, and then I ended up being the choir director at that church for about 10 years um, and, and involved in the music ministry. And, and that was good. You know, it gave me um, a place to ground myself and, you know, we take, everything's a package deal, you know, nothing's ever all good and nothing's ever all bad. You know, um, I think the scale tipped a little, <laughs> you know, the scale can tip a little in one direction or the other, but it's never all, or it's never all this or all that. And there were, there was a lot of good that did come, come from those years. And there was, you know, it did give me a place to grow and it did give me a place to, um, to explore my gifts and to, and music really, you know, God really used music in my life to um, help me even process my emotions. I still use music and writing songs um, to this day to process. Um, I ended up going back to school a few years ago um, to get a degree, another degree in um, uh, a parallel, a paralegal degree. So I actually work as a paralegal right now. So I did that a few years ago and then I enrolled in school again. <laughs> to get my crisis counseling degree so yeah I wanted yeah. I wanted to ask you about that because um you're working toward a degree in counseling right um you do trauma ministry so you know what it, what are your goals now what do you you know you, you God has a purpose for your life what do you think that is what are your goals yeah um so my goals really are just to be an asset honestly um I just want to yeah pretty much just be an asset like I really have always had um I've always really had emancipated foster youth in my heart you know because I think there is a lot of at this point in the game there is a lot of attention going towards uh foster kids in the system you know it's 
it's an all hands on deck all the time project, you know, but there's a lot, like most of the re resources are that way. Um, but once kids are emancipated, it's kind of like just the abyss, you know, like they're in the abyss now. And, and there are some really great programs for emancipated foster youth, but there's not a lot of them. Um, so some areas might have good support and other areas have like no support at all. And it was such a struggle for me when I was emancipated. I mean, I had panic attacks about everything, you know, budgeting gave me panic attacks, bring, bring my car to the shop, <laughs> panic attack, <laughs> which I think that does for normal people too. But, um, you know, because you're just so ill-equipped and you know, you have no resources, you, and, and you're totally on your own. Like there's, there's nobody there's no cushion. You know, you can't just move back into your parents' house if it doesn't go well. You can't just call call mom and dad and say, hey, I need $500 because my, you know, my check engine light's on. You can't do that. You, you are all you have. And that's really, really scary when you are 17 with no education, you know, you have a high school, high school degree and that's it. Like, it's scary and, and it's hard. And if it wasn't for roommates, I, I would not have survived it. Like how could, I would have drowned, you know, mm -hmm. I would have, I would have been financially, you know, I would have been underwater. So I think that, um, I've always, you know, had that, had that in my heart. And also too, I'm kind of a, um, I'm kind of a an expert big sister. I have three younger siblings and I've I've played my big sister role well. <laughs> so I feel like I'm I'm kind of just a professional big sister. So that's kind of how I view myself a little bit even in the emancipated foster youth role. It's like, yeah, like let's just let's just work it out, you know? Just figure out a plan. Um so yeah, I do I do um I actually when I, getting involved in Foster Hope, I was sort of um, making my plan for, you know, how I, how I could reach out to emancipated foster youth with resources and trauma information. Um, because there's really not, there's not much, there's a lot of information, I think, for people who come from, um, like, who have like, uh, childhood trauma, or, you know, like maybe divorced homes and that kind of stuff. There's not, what I could find in my healing journey, I couldn't find a lot of people actually speaking to the foster care experience specifically as a, as an emancipated foster youth. I really, it was really hard for me to find that kind of, that kind of content. So that was kind of my vision is to like really speak into the experience of it, you know, and what you actually like the psychological uh, journey, you know, there, there are, because of the complexity of trauma and the um and just the way this the system is set up you know like one thing that i talk about um i i talked about in my edu a few months ago was um taking on a trauma identity like when you are taken away from your parents you lose your status as as a daughter or a son and you become a ward of the court and you're given a new identity, like foster kid, identity. right? Foster kid. Yeah, you're a foster kid. Yeah, exactly. You're a ward of you're a ward of the court, um, and you know your brothers and sisters become your siblings because mm -hmm. that's what's in the court document, you know. Yeah. And 
I started using the word sibling. Yes, I have, I have four siblings, you know, wow. and it's like, it's very cold. It's a, it, it really strips the child of a lot of mm. connection and the warmth, even the warmth of language, you know, you don't have like referring to your, your brothers and sisters as your siblings it sort of cuts the connection that you have to your siblings and it makes it a cold connection instead of a warm one. And these are like mm. little things that like that kind of happen as part of the process that I kind of just get overlooked, like because kids become conditioned to it. And another another thing is that it is sort of like, um, you know, kids are stripped of their a lot of their autonomy, you know, because it, there could be this sort of institution like you can become institutionalized a little bit because you're just being moved around and told what to do. And you're really stripped of a lot of your autonomy. So the locus of control is external. Mm -hmm. A lot of it, you learn to forfeit your internal locus of control and you're forfeiting it to the external because you're a child and you have no choice. And so part of that, part of what I've had to learn how to do is reverse that, reverse that and take back my internal locus of control and like yeah. take back my own voice and take back my own identity and, and consciously make my connections to other people warm mm. instead of cold. Um, so it's like those kinds of things yeah. that are pretty specific to the foster care journey. Such wisdom, Sherry, that you are sharing with mm -hmm. us. I appreciate that. Um, I did want to ask you about Foster Hope New York because you are yeah. an advocate for emancipated youth um, in partnership with Foster Hope New York. So tell us about the organization. Okay, yeah. So Hannah, um, Hannah started this organization and I kind of joined forces with her. I saw her posting a bunch of stuff and then I was like, hey, I'm building my building my empire too. And we, you know, kind of joined forces and she's been amazing. Um, but, uh, there's a foster closet, um, that really brings, um, clothing, hygiene items and comfort items, um, to new, um, parents or parents who are taking on a new placement, not necessarily new parents, but parents who are getting a new placement. Um, and that's so that they don't have to really think about that kind of stuff in the moment. They can just receive the child and, um, and have some support around that. Um, we also have support groups. We have a support group for uh, foster parents, and we have a new support group for former foster uh, youth. Um, and the the dates for those are usually announced on the social media pages. Um, we also have monthly EDU sessions. Um, so those are to help parents get their um, get credits that they need to um, satisfy their licensing requirements. Um, and then we do kind of in, um, other projects. We did a project pajama during the Christmas season last year, and we collected enough pajamas actually for all of Onondaga and Oswego County, which was like amazing, um, and books too. And uh, we have um, we have partnerships with businesses, uh, foster-friendly businesses, um, one of them is Haven Jiu-Jitsu, and they offer discounts to um, children who are in foster care. Uh, I think it might even be 50% for their, for their membership. 
um, which is amazing because the state really doesn't, you know, I'm sure you know, they don't give you uh, enough money for <laughs> those kinds you know, of things. All, yeah, those kinds of things. It's yeah. basic, basic needs. And so um, by having foster friendly businesses extending discounts for the um, kind of the extras, it really gives foster kids the opportunity to experience more um, some of those um, extra normal life type things. Um, yeah. And then she just started a project called My Wish, um, which is a platform where a foster parent can um, put in a request for a child, a specific one. Um, I think she's also going to the group homes. Um, I think we're actually, uh, yeah, actually, I'm not sure who, uh, if she's had, if she's gotten the request in for them yet, but um, yeah, trying to prioritize some of that stuff too. But the first wish was, uh, for, I think he was four years old. He wanted a bike. And so she put, posted the wish, somebody sponsored it and then brought it, they brought him to the store and he picked out his bike and it's, um, so it's kind of a special little project and to that, make the, the gift yeah. personalized. And that's for a foster child, a child in foster care, correct? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Love yep. that. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of nice too, because when you get put into care, you, you lose all your stuff too. Yes. You know, you take your essentials and you're, you leave your entire life behind all your toys, all that stuff, you know? So yeah, it's kind of nice, uh, to have that project be very, you know, specific to the, ch to the children. So, yeah, that's what we're doing. And I think we have some other um, partnership opportunities coming up and yeah, we're, we're building and growing. So it's good. And I love that. I love that because you guys are in New York as am I, and you're in the Syracuse area right? Yes. The central part of the yep. state. So is there a website for our listeners who might want to check out Foster Hope New York? Yes, it's uh, fosterhopeny.org. Awesome. And we will put a link in our show notes. So that way, anybody listening can just find it really, really quick. Um, because okay. we love what you guys are doing. Um, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I love that. So Sherry, I'm loving our conversation. Yeah. And um you know, a majority of our listeners are adoptive parents, foster parents. So as a former foster youth, you know, you've had yeah. some really challenging experiences in this system. But what would you like our listeners who are parents and caregivers, you know, what would you like them to know? What advice would you give them? Maybe they've got a placement coming in, or maybe they've been fostering for a while, maybe they've adopted. But what would you like to say to them? Yeah, um, I wrote down two things. Uh, one would be to honor the sacred space of the child. Um, you know, because when you go into foster care, you are not only are you stripped of your identity and given a new identity, but also your story is in the hands of strangers. You know, the most painful and vulnerable parts of your life that you would most likely want to hide are like headline news to everybody that you know. And that's really, really um, exposing. And it like, even that can be traumatic, you know, because there's, you're subject to everybody's opinions about your situation, your, you know, people's critiques, 
you know, some people are, you know, demonizing your parents who you're still attached to. It's like, yeah, things were not healthy, but I'm not ready to demonize them. So, you know, like you get lots of that kind of stuff. And this can really rattle the emotional state of, of a foster child. And that sacred space gets really, really violated on really, really deep levels. And I think that it's really healing when somebody can um, honor that sacred space and give that child their story back, give them, give them back the control and the, uh, of their own story. Let them tell you how they feel. Let them tell you their experience, how they see it. Even if you see it totally different and you know stuff about the situation that that child's not factoring in, that it's their story. It's what they see and they have to be able to feel it. So I would say like as much as you can, you you can also have your opinion, but please separate it from that child. And because what happens, that child gets projected on all the time and so much that they are trained to just be quiet. <clears throat> like you learn that your life is not about you. It's about what people think about you. And, and that is, uh, so we want to give them back like the control of their life and to honor that sacred space because that sacred space has been so violated. So that's one thing. And the other thing is to, um, explore your relationship with pain and stress. Um, I really think that this is a really important piece and also your ability to grieve because doing trauma work is all pain, stress, and grief. And if we do not have a healthy relationship with pain, if we can't look our own shame in the face and sit with it and feel it and process through it and come out on the other side, then we can't sit with the shame of another person. And <clears throat> if we can't sit with our own pain and our own brokenness and still feel that we have um, a, a valid, you know, if, if we can't validate our own feelings in that, um, then it's going to be really hard to validate the feelings of another person. So I would say like, explore, explore your relationship with pain. You know, are you somebody that just has to fix it? you know, or can you sit with it and hear it, you know, and I think that there's a time, there's times for both things, you know, um, but knowing what your relationship with pain is, is going to really show you how you're showing up for connection with someone else who's in pain. Um, you know, are you avoiding your own pain? Well, chances are you're going to want to avoid theirs, you know, these, these kinds of patterns. So um, exploring that and learning how to how to properly grieve and um, restore hope in yourself um, and then uh, being able to sit with someone else. Yeah, so. I remember Dr. Karen Purvis saying mm -hmm. something like, we cannot bring a child to a level of healing that we ourselves have not been to. Mm -hmm. You yeah. know, and I've always remembered that. And if we have things that trigger us, that push our buttons, we need to recognize mm -hmm. what they are and why. You know, why does yeah. this bother me? Why is this a trigger? You know, and mm -hmm. and I also learned along the way myself for being a parent for like 34 years and, and adopting children and having kiddos with trauma. 
um, you know, I there was a season where I parented out of fear because I was afraid of, um, you know, like I had been a, a teenage girl from a broken home. I had never been in foster care, but from a broken home. So I remember all of the poor choices that I made. So then when I had girls, teenage girls with trauma histories, I feared, oh, they're just, they're going to go do the same thing. So then I tried to like mm-hmm. control the outcome. Like if I do, mm-hmm. if I do all of these things, then they won't go down that path. But then that takes yeah. their freedom away from them and their freedom to choose and to make choices, right? So I'm trying to control outcomes, not good for connection, <laughs> right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, and the other thing, yeah, no, that's so good. And the other thing too that I think of is that trauma, I you know, like there's there's the the right side, left side, left side of your brain, right brain, left brain, <laughs> yeah, balance, right. And so like we you we can get trapped when we're in a traumatic trigger, we can get trapped into our right side of the brain where our feelings and our emotions and you know all that stuff is, and we can get trapped there and and ruminate. And sometimes the left brain needs to pull us out of that. But, you know, to fully process, we have to be, we have to hear our whole self. If we go too far to the left, then you, we can be very rigid with ourselves and we can suppress our feelings and we can just tell us, you know, soldier up and that can drive us deeper into survival mode, you know? So yeah, I, I always think that too, um, sometimes, you know, um, yeah, I have more to say about that, but it's going to be a rabbit hole, so I better not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm loving it. And that was such wonderful advice. Honor the sacred space of the child and explore, um, you know, your reactions, you know, as the parent to pain and stress and grief and understand. We have to understand our own stuff and deal with our own stuff, because if we don't, yeah. it's going to it's going to negatively affect parenting a kiddo from a hard place. Right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And I really think, I really think of pain as a relationship, you know, because we are having a relationship with that part of us that hurts, you know, and we have to have compassion for it and we have to be able to sit with it and hear it and listen to it and speak to it. And it really is like that, you know, that relationship within ourselves, you know, our, our relationship with our pain and then um, when we when we learn how to have that relationship in a healthy way, then we can have that relationship with someone else's pain, you know? Yeah. 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 Such words mm-hmm. of wisdom. So one more thing I wanted to ask you, because you chose the scripture verses that I read at the beginning, yeah. Ezekiel mm-hmm. 16, 4 through 7. And I just wanted to ask, yes. what do those verses mean to you? Oh, yeah. You know, I that's how I felt inside you know, um, thrown into the open field and, uh, my heart was bleeding to death. I actually went to, um, I went, I listened to a sermon. I actually was visiting Times Square Church when Carter Conlon was still the, um, head pastor there. And, um, he opened his sermon with that scripture and I just could not stop crying. I'm like <laughs> sitting in the middle of the congregation, just weeping. And because it just felt exactly what, like how God rescued me. Mm. I did feel like I was in the open field dying. Um, like my heart was bleeding to death. And, 
and God spoke life into my heart. And, um, and I have, uh, and he did, he called me to live. And he, he said to me, live. Mm. And he has, he is the one um, that has sustained me. And he's the one that has carried me through. And he's the one um, that will, that will open the door for the future. Um, but yeah, he did. I, he, he revived my, my heart, you know, that was, that was dying and bleeding. So yeah, that's what that means to me. It, it, to me, I, every time I read that, it makes me grateful, you know, for, for the intervention of God in my life, because, um, yeah, my, my soul was full of death. Mm. So he did rescue you and you are beautiful because that's how that verse ends. You are beautiful. And I just, Sherry, thank you so much for just transparently sharing your story, um, just your words of wisdom, you know, such discernment, such wisdom. Um, I just thank you so much for being with us and thank you for all that you are doing um, on the behalf of emancipated youth. Um and, and with Foster Hope New York. And since we're both in New York, hopefully our paths will cross one of these days. Yes, yes, they should. We can make them cross. We can, <laughs> we can do it. So, so. Yeah, uh, thank you for having me. It's a real honor, no, honestly. Thank you so much. Yes, to do this. Thank you so much for being yeah. with us. Thanks. Oh my goodness. That has to be one of my favorite interviews this month. Uh, they're all my favorites, but Sherry just so precious, and um, I'm sure that you all are as blessed as I am. Um, just speaking with Sherry and hearing her story and her conversation, and just the hope that she gives us um, as we journey on with our kiddos from hard places. Um, so I hope you are blessed. Thank you uh, for listening. Um, I'm sure you were inspired as I was. Uh, so just let me know. Shoot me an email. Uh, let us know how you enjoyed uh, our foster care focused episodes uh, all throughout the month of May. Uh, love to hear from our listeners as always. Um, also, we're going to be hearing from the dads. All of our June episodes, foster and adoptive dads. So you know, maybe we can get the dads to listen. I know some dads do listen. I know you guys are out there. Um, but also, you know, moms, if you're listening, faithful listeners, and you don't normally get your husbands to listen, or they don't listen or whatever, you can let them know the dads are going to be telling, you know, sharing their story from their unique perspective and offering all of us encouragement, offering dads encouragement, but also offering us moms encouragement as well. So you're not going to want to miss those June episodes. So make sure that you are subscribed so you don't miss a single episode. Um, in addition to inspiring you, we also like to equip you for this unique parenting journey. Um, again, if you want to learn more about fetal alcohol spectrum disorders, how to apply the neuro uh, behavioral model, that brain-based approach um, which we need specifically for our kiddos who've been prenatally exposed. Um, you know, we need to be able to understand the brain, how prenatal exposure impacts the brain, um, and then how to accommodate and be able to parent and care for kiddos with um, a, a neurodevelopmental disorder, right? 
take advantage of our training. There's ongoing training. Every month we offer online workshops, um, evening, daytime, um, but also we will schedule one-on-one, we'll schedule group. Um, If you have a foster parent group or a support group or you're part of a group, um, very happy to bring FASD training um, online. I've I've been a guest on some other other, podcasts. I have been a guest on other podcasts, but I've been a guest on other support groups where I've been able to do um, a training on FASD specifically. So if you'd like me to be part of, you know, an evening at your group, whether it be online or in person, let me know. I'm always available uh, to really to to bring excellent uh, training in the area of FASD. Um, So you can check out our website, justicefororphansny.org, and click on training to learn more about what we offer um, and, and, and working out something to be able to bring it to your group. Um, link in the show notes for uh, Foster Hope New York. Link in the show notes for the Justice for Orphans website. Um, and if you want to contact me, if you want to send me an email directly, you have a question, you want to set up a training, you want to just give me some feedback or a comment about the podcast, love to hear from you. Um, you can email me directly at uh, my email address is Sandra Flack with an H, F-L-A-C-H, at justicefororphansny.org. Would love to hear from you. Remember the hope for the FASD Journey virtual support community. It's growing. Um, and I have to say it is one of my favorite evenings of the week because I get to be with fellow adoptive and foster and kinship caregiver moms who are on this journey. Uh, we have Sometimes we do have dads on too, um, so all parents are invited, but we get to just really encourage one another. We hear from other folks on this journey. We pray for one another, um, and that's three Tuesday nights a month, and we have our private Facebook group, which is just for our members, where we interact throughout the week. We pray for one another. We put prayer requests in there. Um, you know, we share resources in there, and we um, do a video devotional every Saturday morning. So it's like I think we are the only faith-based, FASD-focused support group for foster and adoptive parents in the world, unless somebody can tell me otherwise, I'm pretty sure we're the only one, um, and we want you to be part of our group. So I hope you check it out, again, at justicefororphansny.org. And if you enjoyed the show, again, subscribe, leave a review, let your fellow adoptive and fostering friends know. Find us on Facebook and Instagram, at Justice for Orphans. Me, Sandra Flack, I am on Facebook and Instagram as well. Check me uh, check me out there. Connect with me there. Um, find and follow me there. I am so grateful that you chose to spend your valuable time with me today. I am thrilled to have you along for the journey. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast. Brought to you by Justice for Orphans. We hope you were encouraged today. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. And share it with your fellow foster and adoptive parent friends so they can be encouraged too. Be sure to find and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans. And check out our website for vital resources at justicefororphansny.org.